Lord. All morning we've been singing that he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. And I know what it is to be in a church service or maybe at home. And you can sing those songs or hear those songs and they don't register on your heart because you're in pain. You're going through circumstances of life and the pressure's there. But listen to me. For a guy that's been serving God for a while now, I found this song to be so true that even when you don't see it, he is really working. And the scripture says in Romans 8, if you will press in with prayer and you'll have agonizing prayer and pour out your heart to him, God's always after your and my heart. He's okay with you in being angry and being frustrated and coming to him. Read the Psalms. David, who had a heart after God, would come and just languish and be anguishing in his approach and his words to God. But somewhere in those Psalms, there'll be a switch. And I pray the switch is happening right now in your heart this morning. Or maybe you've been angry and mad and the circumstances of life are pressing in. But David, and my prayer for you this morning is there'd be a change and you'd lift up your eyes and you'd raise your hands and hope would fill your heart again that even when it doesn't look like anything's happening, things are happening. The scripture says the unseen realm is more real than this realm and that God is at work. The angels of God are doing his bidding. The prayers that you've prayed and others have prayed for you as you've asked people to pray, they're working, they're working. So my word for you this morning is be at rest. Be at peace. Let the peace of God calm you and still you. David said that my heart now, my soul, is like a weaned child. I've received from you. Now I can rest. Now I can be at peace. Now I can be whole. Now I can have confidence. This morning, we prophesy that over your life. We believe the word is working in you mightily. Come on, somebody. Give some emojis out there. Give some praise. Give some claps. Come on. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. Come on. Give it up for the praise and worship team. We switch, switch microphones a little bit. Are they working? There we go. It's working. It's working. It was turned off. A little technical difficulty. Thank you, guys. Wow. Thanks for being here this morning, working with the technical difficulty. Come on, one more time. Give it up for the band. What a great, great job. What a great, great morning. We just are so appreciative of men and women who are serving consistently here at Spectrum. We're so glad that you have been with us on this journey. It has been an interesting time, an interesting season. And we know that, again, the presence of God, the peace of God, the goodness of God is working in you even when it doesn't look like it again. Man, I want to encourage you. Let's take the posture. Let's take the position, as the scripture says, 
that we do what 1 Timothy chapter 2 says and we pray for those that are over us, that we believe God, that God is working in Washington, D.C. and our leaders with President Trump and the Supreme Court and decisions that are being made on the, on the statewide level, also with, with Governor Newsom, what's happening there and the decisions that he's making on a, a local level here in San Diego County and, of course, the city level right here where we live in Chula Vista. The Bible says that our position as believers needs to be that we pray for those in authority over us. And I want us to live a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, as it says. So let's just kind of work that. Come on, pray for the leaders that are around you. They need prayer. The council members, the assembly members, senators and congressmen, the policymakers in Washington, D.C., and of course in our state here in Sacramento. So let's be men and women of God who don't give in to complaining and criticizing, and everybody's got an opinion. Come on, you've got one and I've got one. But the believer's position needs to be one of prayer and constant prayer. I, I believe you, you know that, but I think that sometimes our tongues will get hooked up with what's going on in culture and what we see and don't want, like, and, and we got to be careful that we just stay on the God side. Amen, everybody? Come on, help me out there. Amen, everybody. Come on, I'm hearing you this morning. Hey, our posture every Sunday morning when we come together is we just take a time before we jump into the message right after worship, and we give you an opportunity to do what the Scripture says, is to worship God. This isn't a separate part of the service. It is worshiping God with your resources, worshiping God with the finances, the, 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 the money that he has actually prospered you with. But we as a church, we constantly talk about this because we see it all throughout the scriptures that we need to understand that God is the owner of everything. He owns everything in your life, every gift, every talent, every ability. He even owns the ability that you have to make money, resources for yourself, your family, your future. But then also he talks to us about what we need to be doing with a portion of those resources, and it is to honor God and to worship God and to further his kingdom and advance his purposes in the earth, which is really called the local church, missionaries and supporting the poor and working in the community to better the community. So I want to encourage you, don't check out during worship time and don't check out during giving time. Check in. Don't check out during word time, preaching time. Check in. Let's just see what God's got to say for us even as we talk about giving. Got a couple points going to throw on the screen so you can see and just hang out with me for the next couple of seconds. I really believe this. Thought number one is that your giving reflects your heart. What you give, what you don't give, it reflects your heart. In other words, your giving will be an expression of your joyfulness. I'm joyful. I'm thankful. I'm appreciative of who you are and what you've done in my life. My giving, your giving will reflect that. You give to what you love, your family, your kids, the people and the things that God's put on your heart. That, that, that now your, your, your giving can be something that then is now joyful. It's not a burden. It's not drudgery. It's not taxing. It's joyful. It's appreciative. It's thankful for who God is and what he's done in your life. So your giving will reflect what is really going on in your heart. And secondly, is that your giving affects your heart. 
Your giving will affect your heart, that you can be at peace, you can be at rest, you can be trusting, you can be knowing that God is working in your situation. I I don't know about about you, but I know a lot of people that they thought or they do think that money is going to buy them happiness. Money is going to buy them length of days. And we find over and over in Scripture, that's just not so. But your giving will reflect your heart. Your giving will affect your heart. It'll show you what direction you're really going in. So last thought, just want to give you this morning for you to ponder and think about, really is this, that your generosity, or we could say your lack of it, is a mirror of what's really going on in your soul. So your generosity, your open-handedness, your tight-fistedness, your giving, your liberality, or your withholding, and, and, and maybe, you're, maybe you're in a mindset right now that what's going on economically, that, that there's some shortage going on, so I'm in full you know, bore, I'm in crisis mode. I'm in, I'm in gather it all together to, to myself and not being generous. And maybe I used to tithe. Maybe I used to give offerings. Maybe I used to support the poor. I, and maybe you're thinking, I might be one of those. I might be poor. I, I don't know what's going on with my job. So I, I'm going to hold all my seed. I'm going to hold all that God's blessed me with and not be a channel of blessing to others. Can I tell you? <laughs> That's going to prove fatal in your future, because the scripture says, whoever sows, more will be given to him. And if you don't sow according to what God's given you, the scripture says in Proverbs, that is what leads to lack. We always think about lack in terms of what I don't have. God says, really, lack is coming in your life maybe because you have what you shouldn't be having. That por- the portion that God talks about You need to release and give honor to him and trust him and watch what he does in your life. At the end of the message, there'll be giving links and some things that you can do that might be on the screen right now. We're so appreciative. Again, through the last, through the course of all these months that, you know, we've been away and then we kind of got together for four weeks and, and we've been mainly online and, and you all have been so, so faithful. Thank you. If you're li- listening for the first time and you desire to give, thank you. We're so appreciative of what God is doing in your life and we're believing for a mighty harvest of blessing, as the scripture says, that is accumulating to your account. And by way of reminder, before we get into the message, The blessing of the Lord will make rich and gives no sorrow with it. In other words, a full life, an abundant life, a life that's just full of joy, full of peace, full of rest, a life that's full. I want that for your life, and I believe you're going to see it as you begin entering in to the plan and the purpose God has for you. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for being so generous. Come on, let's jump right into the Word this morning. We're on a series of lessons called Principled Living. And we base the series of lessons out of a scripture from Ezekiel chapter 14. We've read it three weeks in a row. No sense stopping now. Let's read it one more time this morning. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet. And of course, if you know what's going on is that the nation of Israel, uh, it's always been a yo-yo. They'll serve God, then they'll not serve God. And and they'll serve God and they'll get real good. And then they'll they'll get high on the kite, if you will. And and they'll just forget God. And and the enemy will come in and, and, and it's... It's life. It's so many of people's lives. I want to encourage you. 
what's going on here is really symbolic of what I see happening in society right now and our world. Here's what he says in Ezekiel 14. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness. There was a phrase we've been talking about. By persistent unfaithfulness. I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread. In other words, there's going to be shortage. I'm going to send famine on it. I'm going to cut off the man and the beast. He says, verse 14, even if these three men, and for the last two weeks we've been on a journey talking about these, these first two men, and we're going to talk about this third one today. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, or Job, were in it, were in the land, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. So God's got a word through the prophet for the nation. And, and again, we're, we're, we're taking this scripture out and kind of bringing it into 2020 right now, what's going on currently in our society in the world. That everybody's feeling the pinch. Everybody's feeling the pressure. Everybody's feeling the angst. Everybody's feeling the aggression. Everybody's feeling the, the, the tension that's going on right now. And it's showing up in all kinds of ways through addiction. And, and uh, I just heard a, a recent report that a, a local here in San Diego in the county, that, that local uh, lawyers have gotten in the last month 1,500 calls for uh, uh, couples that want, want a, a divorce. It, it's just skyrocketing. So we're seeing all kinds of things happen, again, that this scripture says, specifically for this time in Ezekiel 14, that because of their persistent unfaithfulness, that there was going to be trouble. There was going to be things going on. But we, we didn't really, you know, lean and, 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 you know, just stay in camp on the judgment side of things because I don't think that that's healthy. Every prophecy and every judgment kind of person, they, they always seem angry. They always seem nasty. I mean, the, 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 the judgment prophecy kind of people. But all prophecy has to have a redemptive value to it. And that's what we see here as a redemptive value that God says through Ezekiel, even though the land has gone through crazy times. And so he says, though, that there's going to be judgment in the land. There's going to be trouble in the land. And he says that even if Noah or Daniel or Job were there, they couldn't change it. But I would be with them. I would deliver them. So the word of the Lord for you this morning again is that don't be fearful. Don't be so overly concerned. Don't be anxious. Don't, don't be stressed out concerning what's going on right now. God says he will deliver you. Come on, can you say that out loud right there in your home, around your TV, around your computer or your phone? He will deliver, deliver me. He'll deliver me. And so we found out that a principle, a principle to live by, a principle is just a foundation or the way you live life or a system of belief or behavior. That's what a principle really means. But what's interesting is that that can be godly or ungodly. That can be carnal or spiritual. You and I get to choose what principle we live by, fear-based or faith-based, love-based or hate-based, forgiven-based or unforgiven-based. We get to choose what principle we make our life by. This third person that Ezekiel talked about was this guy named Job. That even if Job was in the land, he couldn't change what was going on in the land. 
but God would deliver him. And if you read the book of Job, it's right before the book of Psalms. It's a crazy, crazy book. I'm going to talk about it for just a few moments this morning because the book of Job is an Old Testament book. And really what we find is that, is that it opens up where Job is got to be the most persecuted man in all of the Bible. But Job, we're going to find, is God is talking to him, and we're going to tap into this one principle this morning, and here it is. The principle to live by that we see in the book of Job is this, patience in suffering. Can you say it out loud right there in your house? Patience in suffering. This is what God is requiring you and I to live by. Not for a moment, listen, not for just a year, but for the rest of your life, there is going to be seasons of suffering that God requires you to be patient in. There's going to be things that you didn't see coming, but God did evidently if you trust God and his word. And he's going to allow you to go through it, but you're going to have to go through it with patience. So let's give a working definition from what the Bible actually talks about what patience is. From Old Testament scripture, from New Testament scripture, long suffering's kind of, you know, in, in the middle of it all. That's a fruit of the spirit that we find from Galatians chapter 5. But the definition of patience is this. Patience actually means hopeful endurance while suffering long. Now, now, I tell you, those are tough words to read, and maybe they're tough for you to stomach this morning. But God says, I want you to have patience, hopeful endurance. One translation says, cheerful endurance while suffering long. It includes the ability to continually wait in persecution or evil treatment. Who wants to wait in evil treatment or persecution? Who wants to suffer long? I don't think anybody woke up this morning and said, I hope today is a day I get a chance to suffer long. That's not what God, uh, that's not God's ultimate plan for your life. But in this life, there is going to be suffering that you are going to have to endure. In Job chapter 1, we see this beginning and, and unfolding as the book starts having this narrative, and we see that Satan is standing before God, and he accuses Job before God that the only reason Job is serving you, God, is because you've blessed him with everything. And Satan basically says to God, you take it all away, God, and Job won't serve you. Job will curse you. Then Satan was given permission by God, to try and to test Job's faith. And what we see in the next short verses is that Job lost his wealth, Job lost his family, and Job lost his health. Now what we read in the scriptures, and again, you understand that the Bible is a progressive revelation, that in the time that Job was going through what Job was going through, they had no idea a Satan or a devil actually existed. They ascertained that God gave and God took away. That God would bless and God would curse. That God would heal and God would make you sick. That was their revelation. Now, the Bible is clear. That is not who God is. But Job and the writer and those who wrote the book of Job 
depicted it because it was their point of view. Interesting that God included that in these 66 books. Well, Job, in a matter of days, loses his wealth, loses his family, loses his health. He's got boils on his body. He's got scabs on his body. He actually took a broken piece of pottery. It's, it's awful to read. The, 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 the angst in this man, the suffering, the, 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 the grossness of what he looked like. He was gross to look at, the scripture says. He would take this piece of pottery and shave the boils, the sores that were oozing, pardon me, all over his body. Job had three friends, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. These three friends actually came to Job, and they sat around him for seven days and didn't say nothing. They just mourned with him. And thank God for good friends that will get down and get dirty with you when you're going through it. There were three friends that evidently were peers, and then there was a younger man we're going to talk about that he wound up hanging out with them, and he had some words to say. And they were with them, but, but I want to encourage you. <laughs> the rest of the book really talks about what these guys were saying in dialogue with Job. And again, what they said was what they felt. What they said was what they knew. But it didn't line up with who God really was and what God said about the current situation. What I want to do is I want to tell you <laughs> or just say to you, the big question. Here was the big question that they all were trying to come to the conclusion of. Why is Job suffering? And if you've been alive any length of time, you could be a high school student, and you could have wanted to graduate at one of our local campuses here, and you could be asking that question. Why did shutting down, why did COVID happen and they shut down the schools in my graduation year, in college, or why? Why am I suffering? They're trying to answer the question, why is Job suffering? I want to give you some of their, just a, a sentence or two, in what each of these four people came to and tried to, again, for about 35 chapters, talking to Job and working Job and massaging their thoughts into Job's thoughts, and, and Job wouldn't have it. But, but here's the first guy. His name's Eliphaz. He said this, My experience tells me you're suffering because you sinned. Those who sinned are punished. You're, you're suffering because you did something wrong. We know this, Eliphaz is saying. Whoever sins, they get punished. Retribution theory. Uh, remember there's a scripture over in the book of John that John, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, <laughs> come to Jesus one day and there's a guy that's sitting over there named, he's blind. He's blind. And they ask Jesus this question. Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? You know what Jesus' response was? Neither. 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 The second guy, his name is Bildad. And Bildad said this, Job, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. If you were pure, if you were pure, if you were holy, if you were really righteous like you say you are, God would, God would rise up. God, God would come off the throne and God would prosper you again. In other words, the situation would completely turn around. 
And, and, and what, what Bildad is saying is that if you do good, you get good, and you're not good. You're not good. And we go through life, and many of you, I think, are going through life right now, thinking, I must not be good. <laughs> I, must not, I must not be good, or I must not be good enough, because this is going on in my life. And we based our Christianity on a reward system. It's almost like going to the casino. Not, not pro-casino, but you get the picture. And we just put the, cord, we put the quarters in, and we pull it. And if I'll just keep doing, if I'll just keep doing, if I'll just keep being, if I'll just keep striving, one day, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit, come on, blackjack, going to hit all the stars. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the payout. It's just I got to keep being good and gooder and better and betterer. But the question always is, how much do I have to do? A third friend, his name is Zophar. He condemns Job for being presumptuous. Again, these are just the nutshells, cleft notes, if you will. He, present, he just tells Job, you're presumptuous. And he says, you're getting less than you deserve. Job, you're really getting less than you deserve. God's going easy on you, Job. <laughs> And there's so many Christians I've met over my life, and they think that God is the punisher, that God's in heaven, and he's looking down just waiting for you to take the wrong step. And the minute you take the wrong step, he's lashing out at you with punishment and judgment and retribution, and you're going to go through pain, and you're going to pay for what you did. That is a lot of people's idea of who God is. And yet, the scripture says completely the opposite. The last man that hung out with him was a guy named Elihu, and he was the young man. And, and he's got a little bit better head on his shoulders, to be honest with you, than the three of Job's peers. But he says this, in a nutshell again, that God is greater than man. He, he doesn't need to give you an explanation. But if you're humble, Job, God's going to intervene. And I guess you're not humble enough yet. That's why you're still going through this. In other words, Elihu's just simply saying, listen, Job, when you pay for your sin, all this is going to stop. And evidently, you haven't paid for your sin. You haven't paid for your sin. What these guys believed and what so many Christians believe today, which is sad, they believe that, number one, suffering, suffering is a direct outcome for sin. That suffering is a direct outcome for sin. That wickedness always gets punished. They don't believe that there can be anything as, quote, righteous suffering. Yet the scripture talks about that. In other words, again, you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. There can be no suffering for righteousness sake, that again, the scripture is pretty clear on, and I hope you get that this morning. And the second thing that these guys believed is that you can ascertain, you can ascertain God's favor or disfavor in your life by what's happening or what's not happening. In other words, you look at your life and you go, wow, I got the raise, and so that must mean that God's favor is on my life. Or I, I lost my job, so that must mean God's disfavor is on my life. I, I'm going through a tough time in my marriage, so that must mean God's disfavor is on my life. Guys, 
We can't look at the good times or the hard times to say God's there or he's not there. We can't look at the, 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 the pay raise and the pay decrease to say God's there or God's not there. It's wrong theology. At the end of all this discussion and throughout this discussion, Job actually talks to these guys on a couple occasions and he says this, guys, here's what I've learned. The godly and the ungodly suffer and enjoy prosperity. Uh, they, 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 they see the blessing of God. They see that going on in their life. And then they see God not working in their life. They see stress going on. They see other things that are not happening. They see, they see a blessing. They see decrease. And in the middle of it all, they just see God being glorified. Are, are you that kind of person? That you can hold steady when it's going good or when it's not going good. When, when there's a lot of money in the bank, when there's no money in the bank. That you just say, God loves me. He's for me. He's got a plan for my life. And it doesn't make a difference what it looks like to me. I know God is working. I know as we sang that song, he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can somebody on the couch shout, yes, amen, and amen. This is from the Old Testament, of course. This is the account of this man, Job, 42 chapters. And what we find out is that toward the end of the book, God gets involved. And God then addresses these four guys who were coming against with false ideas, really. It was their idea, but it was a wrong idea of who God really was. And James says something amazing. The New Testament, the, the, James brings out and really talks about this guy named Job. And I'm going to read you this scripture. We're going to drill down for the remaining you know, moments that we have this morning and really look at this. So listen, lean in for the next moments that I have with you this morning. Because James says this. My brothers in James 5.10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Take them. Look at their lives. Look at those words. Suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. James talks about this, brother. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, is very compassionate and he's merciful. What we find out from this scripture, and we see from the Old Testament, we see in the, even in Hebrews 11 from all these heroes and heroines of faith that made this hallmark of faith chapter, is that the prophets lived for the Lord, the men and women in the Old Testament lived for the Lord, even the New Testament, and they suffered. They suffered. I don't know if I can tell you this this morning, and you'll hear it. They suffered. You're going to suffer too. There's going to be times in your life you didn't see coming. You're going to suffer in personal, in your personal life. Maybe the attack of the enemy coming to your mind, trying to get you dark, trying to get you fearful, trying to get you worried, trying to get you anxious. You're going to suffer personally. You're going to suffer if you get married. <laughs> that sweet guy, that sweet lady that you just can't live without, you're going to have some trying times. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Listen, you're going to suffer in your marriage. God's going to be with you. He's going to get you through it. But it's not always going to be a bed of roses. You have those kids, 
those kids you've been praying for, those kids you're loving for, those kids that you just can't wait. I want a family. Oh, I can't wait. A little sweet, sweet babies. Let me tell you what. They're going to grow up. They're going to start having a mind of their own. There's going to be some times of suffering. They might do some things that cause great, great pain in your life. And you're going to suffer. But can, listen to me. God's going to be with you. You didn't see it coming. You didn't want it. You didn't pray. You didn't pray for that. You might be suffering right now even in your job. Job market situation. That thing shut down. Why, God? Why? Why? Just like these guys were trying to answer for Job. Why are you suffering? Here's what I know about suffering based on this scripture and another one we're going to read in a moment, is that suffering requires persevering patience. What I mean by this is that you have just got to keep on believing. You've got to have mental fortitude. You've got to have strength in your soul that keeps pressing and doesn't give up, won't quit, refuses to quit, what we know, the scripture told us, blessing comes after you endure. Not before, listen, and not until the end. Blessing comes after you endure. I, I don't know what the time clock is. A day, a week, a month, a year, five years? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that God's going to strengthen you as he did Job. He strengthened him. To go through this time of great, great suffering. And something that I've seen, what the scripture tells us, James, is that we've got to see the end intended by the Lord. And I think we, we, we I don't think we're good at this. I really don't think we're good at this. See the end intended by the Lord. Here's what the scripture says. The end intended by the Lord for Job was that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. See the end. He's very compassionate and merciful. He will not allow you to go through something you couldn't go through with him, his word, and his power. And his people, listen, his people, some of you are just way too isolated. So, listen, can I just, can I talk to you for 30 seconds? Some of you, COVID's jacked you up so much you refuse to get around anybody. Listen, God's in you. He's greater than COVID. God's in you. His power's in you. He's greater than what's going on around in the atmosphere. I'm not saying don't take precautions. I'm not saying if somebody's not well. I'm not saying... Take it for what it is. I'm just saying, are you motivated by fear or are you motivated by faith? James says, see the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate. The Lord is very, very merciful. The writer of Hebrews, he talks about suffering. A lot of people think it was the Apostle Paul that wrote the book. We really don't know, but... The writer talks about the suffering, the difficulty that these people went through after Jesus would raise, you know, was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven and, and then the church was growing and 
man, the, the, there was great, great persecution came to the people of God. And the writer talks about it. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10 to the people, and, and I would say he's saying it to you and me this morning. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Don't throw it away. Remember the great reward it brings. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all He has promised. And then He tells us in verse 34 that these people joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. The writer, would always, the writer would always point them back to heaven. It's not just about now. It's about what's happening in the future. So a couple thoughts as we wind down this morning, I see, is that confident trust brings a reward. Confident trust brings a reward. How's your trust? How's your trust? Confident trust brings a reward. And he says patient endurance, secondly, is what you need right now. Is what you need right now to continue to do God's will. Patient endurance. You have to stay under that load until that load is lifted. Passion of mine is cycling. Yesterday I rode 80 miles in East County, San Diego. Man, like 65, 6,800 feet of elevation. Big day, big climb with two other guys that are faster than me. Shout out to Tin and Darby. <laughs> Man, they just kicked kick me all over those mountains. They're faster than me and they're, they're ahead of me. I'm trying to get to the top of the mountain and my heart rate's beating and I'm in threshold and my legs are screaming lactate acid is filling up and my lungs are expanding. My eyes are bulging, but I've got to make it to the top. Patient endurance is what you need right now to continue to do God's will. The writer tells us God wants you to receive all he has. Again, God wants you to receive all he has. We see this. God's not withholder. He's not, he's not trying to make you jump through hoops. He wants you to receive, but there's something about this long-suffering. There's something about this patient endurance that God requires in you and me. And we've said it a couple times, but I want to give it a, a couple more times, I think, before we're closed in the next couple minutes, is that really living for heaven refocuses your temporary pain. Living for heaven refocuses your temporary pain. In other words, I, I want to think about not just this life, the next life. Again, Job and all the people that he was dealing with, they thought everything was about this life. They didn't know about the next life. And maybe you're struggling with that right now. Maybe you're looking at somebody else and they're blessed and their man looks like they got, come on, they got the, the cat by the tail. All's going good. And they do, man, they hate God. They don't serve God. They're out hurting people. They're out stealing from people. They're out doing crazy stuff. And it's like God's blessing them. Listen, listen. This life doesn't always show what you get in the next life. Living for heaven will refocus your temporary pain. At the end of the book, at the end of Job, again, it's 42 chapters. Encourage you maybe to read it sometime. Uh, God comes to Job in a whirlwind. It's really interesting. He comes in a whirlwind. He never explained why all this was happening. 
God doesn't come to Job and say, Job, here's the reason all this was happening. God did not talk to Job about Satan and his attack. God did not talk to him about anything else. He dealt with those four guys and what they said. But then he talks to Job about him and his heart and his lack of humility. And maybe that's where you're at right now. And God's trying to calm you and settle you and steady you and allow you to see the suffering and patient, patience that's necessary while you suffer is working something deep in you that is very, very necessary. In conclusion, when you're suffering, let's wrap it up this morning. When you're suffering, let's do three things. Number one, have faith that the Father's working on your behalf. Have faith God is working. As we sang it this morning, forgive me for saying it again. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. Have faith he's working on your behalf because that's what the scripture says. We sang it. That is who you are. I have faith that you're working right now. Even when I can't see it, I know you're working. I don't feel it, but I know you're working. You never stop. Come on. You never stop working. So when you're suffering, let's do that. Number two, when you're suffering, just take hold of the promises of God. I think when you're suffering, you know, again, when we're suffering, we don't feel like it. We don't feel like praising. We don't feel like reading the word. We don't feel like getting around the people of God. So come on, when you're suffering, take hold of the promises of God. Can I just say this? When you're going through some stuff, maybe you are right now. Double down. Come on, double down in your reading. Come on. If you read once a day, read twice a day. If you read five minutes, read ten minutes. Come on, if you read an hour, whoo, help me, Lord, read two hours. Come on, when you're going through suffering, come on, take hold of the promises of God. Get, get those promises that really matter to you and, and, and that really that you've latched your teeth onto. Come on, get them in you again. Let God stir something new in you again. And lastly, when you're suffering, just let hope grow. Let hope grow. A confident expectation that, as David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or your seed begging bread. I don't have to do more to get your favor. You're not trying me in this thing, trying to beat me down because you hate me. You're not punishing me. If I'm going through it right now, I'm going to let my confident expectation in who you are grow. You're going to do that this morning? I believe you are. Come on, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name right now. Every single person that's been with us in this series of lessons, Principled Living. Father, we see even in the book of Genesis with Noah, and he was obedient. We see with Daniel, wow, that Daniel just had a spirit of excellence. And we see here with Job that he, he had to deal with this suffering. And Father, I pray for every person that's going through it right now, that the words that we shared this morning are going to resonate with their heart. That they're going to rise up they're going to rise up from this current situation and things are going to be changing in their life because they're going to take hold of the promises of God that are yes and amen. Father, bless your people this morning. Give them great, great courage, oh God, and let them see the end intended by the Lord. You are very compassionate and merciful. My, my, my. 
If you were in the room right now, up here next to me, I sense the presence of the Lord all over this place. One more time. The Lord is very compassionate. Wow. And merciful. And I'll be that way for you. Don't quit. Hold steady. Come on. Do you know Jesus? Is he close to you? Are you a friend of God? I want to give you an opportunity, if you don't know, to pray this prayer in just the next couple seconds. If you're away from God, if you're running, maybe you've been listening to some crazy friends. Maybe you've been involved in something crazy right now. And you're just saying, God could never take me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. On the contrary, friend, God has got a history of working with trouble. The human race, me at the top of the list. And he came into my life and saved me and delivered me. And what he did for me, he wants to do for you. Whether you know somebody who's serving God or not, he wants to show up in your life this morning. It begins with a prayer. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning from Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, and how you begin a journey and a relationship with God. Would you do that? Would you pray after me?